I swear they like float up as they want to be written. I dream that I dreamed that you were blind and I went walking. Hi, and welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. My name is Brad Rayley, and this week I sat down and chatted with Haley Reardon. Lisa first heard her in a public showcase at Folk Alliance in Montreal, and somewhere I still have her excited text, Brad, you have to hear Haley Reardon. Later that fall, we hosted Haley in our house series and got to spend some time with her. She is a thoughtful human who also writes great songs. When we saw her last, she was preparing for a songwriter-in-residence fellowship in Germany, where she would be right now had the pandemic not occurred. Haley has shared stages with Lori McKenna, Anais Mitchell, and Rodney Crowell, and sings on Heather Maloney's latest album. And of course, she has released two full-length albums and an EP, and is preparing for her next album after the pandemic. As with other episodes, we start our discussion with the disruption of this time and its impact on artists. Haley Reardon. How's it going? It's going all right. It's... You know, it's COVID. It's the last time I saw you was like another lifetime ago. I know. World was not, just thinking back. Even that wasn't long ago, but it's like crazy when I connect with people that I haven't seen since before this. I I agree completely. It is so great to see you. It makes me happy. Um, I it's so great to see you. Yeah, you. I've been starting, and I really this is a um, genuine question of how are you doing during all of this? Um, thank you for saying genuine. We're all getting so used to being like, I'm fine. And I think especially with everything that's going on and like in a broader scale, it's like all things considered, I'm fine. And we're all like suppressing the fact that we're not fine, but we feel guilty for not being fine because people have lost their jobs and, you know, are dying of COVID and are being racial, like all this stuff that's happening. Um, so but genuinely saying that, I'm doing well now. I mean, I was pretty – this took me on a ride originally because I have already had very severe health anxiety, in all honesty. So this was like the ultimate trigger, you know, like anywhere yeah. you turn. But it was actually a good opportunity to really dive into some of that. Um, and plans totally got changed. Like I was meant to be in Europe right now, and I'm home with my family. So there was a lot of like feeling stagnant and like, you know, my whole plan had been blown up. But everyone's in the same boat. And now I feel really good. I feel thankful for this time. I feel like today I'm in a good place. So thanks for asking. It's an, it's a ride, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, I really do. I, I appreciate everything you just said, because like you said, our, our, our tendency is when we're asked that question, how are you doing? It's just a, it's a perfunctory, you know, just something. And usually we don't really want to know, but and there is this quality of with this pandemic and racial unrest and political dysfunction and all the things that we're dealing with is that everybody is experiencing some variation of this, you know. And so, and I really also appreciate you just being very specific about I'm doing well. Today's a good day. I'm, I'm doing well. And I think that's one of the things I keep trying to get back to is not getting too far ahead of myself or not getting, you know. That's that's the the challenge, and so I, I appreciate that very much. And so I'm glad I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad this is. Um, have have you? Is there self care um, that you uh, have practiced in the past, or have you taken up something new, uh, or have you just kind of rediscovered maybe some of this kind of centering yourself 
to, to kind of manage all of the things you just described? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I've always been pretty into like, I would say the things that have gotten me through this period, I've always been into, I've always done a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, like, I've in the past few years really realized how important exercise is to me and like managing my anxiety and whatever. So it feels like getting all those tools in place were like a preparing ground for something like this. And then you have to actually like use them consistently. Um, So I wouldn't say I've like discovered any new practices, but I've definitely been really leaning on my existing ones, you know? Yeah. So, so, so meditation, exercise, yoga, those all sound like really good mechanisms or tools to to address anxiety and stress. So, yeah, yes, totally. And I had also started before any of this. Um, I had started doing EMDR with my therapist, which is like a form of like, oh, I'm going to be horrible at explaining it, but it's really cool. A friend had recommended it to me, and it's like using bilateral stimulation, um, like. in my case, like by putting on headphones that are making sounds left and right in my ears um, to like process thoughts and emotions and things. And it's like magical. It's it's really cool. And I had been doing that before COVID. And then when it turned out I was going to stay home, I ended up doing it virtually with my therapist. And that was, has been really helpful just dealing with everything. And it's, it's super cool. It's like brain magic. So Google it. It it does sound a little bit like, um, cognitive behavioral kind of stuff or something that's trying, you're trying to essentially remap some of the way your brain responds to things. Is that, is that close? Yes, but it's, there's no like talking or anything. It's like, it's like your brain wants to fix itself. And it's like, if something gets clogged in the pipeline, to my understanding, like if Hmm. memories or experiences or emotions get sort of clogged in the pipeline and they're not being processed using this bilateral stimulation left and right in your ears while just kind of holding that, whatever you need to work through your brain kind of like clears some of the dust out on its own. And it's so right now in particular, it's been super helpful because it's very like instant and like relieving versus, right. you know, it's been, you know, well-timed, interesting new thing I've discovered during this time with the help of a, you know, EMDR therapist, but. That's yeah. cool. Cause you know, one of the things I, I remember reading several years ago that just basic talk therapy, which is most of what I've done, you know, where you, you don't lay on a couch, but you could, you know, and, and talk yeah. about your childhood and stuff like that has, I mean, I think it absolutely has benefits. It certainly has for me, but in terms of actually the way they measure outcomes, hasn't been as successful as some of these other techniques, you know, that actually really do get your brain to do different things. And that's. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, what better time to put that stuff to the test than when we're all like being anxious is just the norm, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of empowering too, because it's like, makes you realize your brain does want to work fun it doesn't want to keep you in a trap or in a right. fear cycle. you know it wants to work through that even without you consciously like talking through it so that's been cool. right yeah. well good so i know early on you did uh you were doing in fact i've been meaning to get back to you about doing a zoom show because we need to do one this fall and we should do one with you have, have you done some of the kind of just sort of live streaming sort of blasting out to people or have you focused mostly on kind of targeted streams to uh audiences well, I, I've done maybe one or two things that were kind of um, just straight Facebook lives or whatever. And they were, you know, part of something somebody had asked me to do. But I was very nervous from the beginning when, first of all, I was never a big social media girl to begin with. So I was not doing like Instagram live. I don't I don't have that skill yet of being like, hey, guys, you know. Right. Um, so then when everyone was doing lives, I just felt really uncomfortable with it and like, like maybe 
my particular show, which is a lot of storytelling and is very intimate, wasn't necessarily gonna, or I didn't feel super confident in that format. So I really haven't done many. Instead, I've been doing private Zoom shows where I can see people and they can yeah. see me and, um, and they invite their friends. So it's like an enclosed circle. And then we have like a hang at the end. So it feels basically right. like a house concert, but virtual, which just felt like a, a more appropriate like compromise for me. And, and I've discovered things through that process that have, that have been in some ways cooler. It's open opportunities that wouldn't happen at a real live show. So instead of it feeling like the next best thing, I was looking for something that felt like a new avenue to explore that maybe right. would stand alongside a real show someday, you know? So um, I've been doing those. Not a lot of public uh, like Facebook lives or anything. Yeah. Emily Scott Robinson. I don't know if you know Emily. She's uh, yeah. So I did a, I did a podcast with her and she was talking about the challenge of doing something like a Facebook or Instagram live where you're just seeing yourself. I mean, that, that's, that's, so you're playing to yourself, trying to figure out how to emote and how to, you know, do the things that you would do in a regular show. Whereas the Zoom stuff, which comes with sound issues, which you and I've talked about, and you, you know, have helped me with that too. At least you can see people, people responding. responding. You can see that they're listening. You can do that. And uh, I can see that as being a, a better way to do it. Yeah. You know, at least for some. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, the, the live streams too, like Facebook or Instagram, or whatever, I I would struggle or what I would imagine I've only done them hardly but that little all you have is that little number in the corner that's going up and down and up and down because people are passing you by like it's like street performing you know so right. if you're trying to command like especially a show that's like intimate and maybe like grows throughout it's hard because it's people are in and out they're cooking dinner or whatever so zoom has a little bit of or at least if I can see them and set it up in advance it has a little more of that feeling of like okay you're not doing nine things at once. Like this is a show and we're here together, you know? Like yeah. That, that type of space feels like it's slipping through our fingers. So to be able to like curate that, we're like, we're intentionally here together rather than 9 million places is. Yeah, no, that's a, actually, you know, it's interesting. You just raised something that I'm going to have to ask you about because this is the first time that kind of, even though I've thought about this process of, of putting together a set list for a show and intentionally thinking about how that show kind of flows. I, you know, I've, been to a lot of live music and and obviously that's something that I know you guys really do think about this. First of all, I hadn't thought about that with the Facebook Live kind of thing. That you're exactly right because people aren't buying tickets. They're not in there settled in. There's they they're in for a little bit and maybe maybe they switch out and go check out somebody else or go do something else completely different. And right. so your whatever you've done to build that set list towards something. So I mean you've learned, I am sure over the years in terms of doing this, how to kind of put together. So are you very conscious of like uh, slow, upbeat, heart wrenching, <laughs> how you work that in, in terms of, uh, of a set? Yeah, I try. I mean, for me, everything's kind of slow. So I wish I could, I wish I had a little more to work with in terms of like building the pump up in there. But, but in terms of like quality and energy, yeah, I mean, I, tr and, and like where I put like a story versus, where I put a song that kind of needs no explanation and that dance is very important like in terms of how I sort of evolved my set you don't want to feel like you're just blabbering after every song but you also want to like right offer things that support the sort of journey you're on so yeah it's I think that's a, a whole art in its own right of like you know trying to figure out how to a song means something but then what a 10 songs mean together and how does that meaning change if you right around and what you do between them so yeah Interesting. It just dawned on me too, by the way, 
that what we're describing with Facebook Live or Instagram Live is kind of like folk alliance, right? Where people just pop yeah. in and see one song and then, you know, you see them disappear out the back and you don't know why. <laughs> exactly. It's the same thing. Yeah. And if you're really trying to, to show like the whole of an idea or a message or something, it's it's a bit limiting. It's very much is like that, which is and, like, yeah, in and out, which is why <laughs> that's like takes a whole different like set list mindset than like, yes. you know a concert, an hour show or someone paid a ticket and they're there to be there, you know, so. Uh, just out of curiosity on that note, um, when you're opening for somebody, because I know you've opened for a lot of people that, that I admire and so do you, how do you approach opening? Yeah, yeah, I think about that a lot. Like I usually, my mindset of how to approach that set is very different than my show and I usually won't be as talkative or... Yeah, I am intentional about that. I remember one time I opened for Peter Mulvey and I, the venue had, I forget why, the venue had given me like a time amount and I was like just checking with him like, okay, so I'm going to play whatever, 25 minutes. And he was like, yeah, you know when you got him, you know? And he was like, sometimes it takes three songs, like sometimes it takes five, but you know when you got him. And I was like, yeah, that's a performer right there. That's cool. So, um, yeah. Okay, um, that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, let me talk a little bit about songwriting and sort of creativity. And first of all, let me just ask, because I'm not sure this came up in our conversations, um, is your primary kind of artistic outlet songwriting, are there other artistic outlets that you also have? Let me ask that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think songwriting is definitely my primary one. There's others that I wish. I mean, I wish I put more time into just writing in general. And yeah, but songwriting is my bread and butter. So, yes. Okay. And during this time, and I'm guessing it's changed given what you told me at the beginning of this, mm -hmm. um, how has your creativity, how have those creative juices been uh, during this pandemic with all the kind of upheaval and everything else? Because I'm finding in talking to people, some people it's up because they have more time. Uh, for other people, it's down because of the stresses and everything else that's going on. You've already kind of hinted that you've done a good job of kind of disconnecting from a lot of the news and kind of focusing in on self-care. So how has that affected your creativity, your approach to writing? Yeah, well, it's been a journey as the whole thing has been. But um, but more recently in the past few months, I've been um, writing quite a bit, which I usually don't co-write because uh, I, <sighs> I just... It's not my favorite way to write. I love it because it's like social hour. I always have a lot of fun, but um, but usually my most kind of intimate writing experiences are solo. But what helped a lot with this whole scenario was I was writing very regularly with um, my a friend of mine, a singer songwriter who who lives in Berlin. His name is Ryan O'Reilly, and we've toured together a bunch in Europe. And he's a wonderful songwriter and a dear friend. So we started writing. Basically, every two times a week, we'd get on the phone or more, and we would just keep like banging out songs, kind of in like a irreverent way. Like it didn't really matter. We just write and write and write, and that for at least two months, and that um, kind of then sparked me to start writing on my own. Because initially, the beginning of all this, like there was no, there was no way. So that was an interesting thing that's never really happened before. Where I think for both of us mutually, we both like kicked each other back into gear, and that accomplishment of at the end of the day being like we wrote something or we yeah. worked on writing felt like okay because when there's no shows it's sometimes hard to know what when you've done your job whereas when you're playing it's like oh I did my job I got paid but um but with creative work that's so elusive you know when you're just at home and you're right. like so so that really helped um and then I kind of got more in the flow of writing and now I'm writing a, a bit more but nothing crazy 
when you said that about uh, on the phone, um, you didn't do it on a Zoom. I know with Zoom, there's a lag, so that's difficult to do. How how were you doing it? Just out of curiosity. Yes, yeah, sorry, on FaceTime. So oh, okay, um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, there's still a lag and stuff, but just enough for us to you know work out a song, and we weren't like he was. We weren't playing simultaneously, right. but but yeah, just we were on FaceTime all the time, and it started to feel. I've never really been on FaceTime so much with people. Uh. Or Zoom or whatever as now, but that it felt like we were like in the living room together because every other day we're just popping on. It's so funny how my virtual reality and my real reality are blending together. Every right, but yeah, that I was all over Facetime. Completely understand. It's interesting just because. Uh, so I just talked to Mary Bragg. I just did. In fact, I just published a podcast with her, and you. I think you co-wrote some with her, didn't you? Co-write a song with yeah. her? So yeah, in Nashville. Yeah, we did. Yes, and I was living at this house at the time with this really sweet screened in porch and she came over and we were in the, in the morning on the porch. That was a fun time. And yeah. And we wrote a song. Cause Mary, uh, for one thing, Mary loves to co-write, you know, she mm-hmm. does a lot of it. And so it was interesting talking to her. So I actually had written on my pad. I wanted to ask you about co-writing cause I know you'd done that with, with, um, with Mary, but that, that's not your favorite. That's not your go-to. That's, that's, uh, but in this case, it's been really useful to jumpstart, but, and, and useful, I'm sure, in terms of just connection and also writing, but that's not where you go gravitate to. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, there've been a few relationships that I've, um, like, you know, written a lot with and, and that, I think that's where, like, even my friend Ryan and I, like, by the end of however many songs we wrote over that period, a lot, there's a few that were like, oh, these are awesome. But the rest, it was, it's sure. just the muscle. I mean, who knows? There's, I love them all in different ways. But, um, and I've had that experience with a few other people that I've really written with consistently that I really get to a place like that. But maybe I'm, I don't know. I'm just very, it's just still not the most comfortable or like, uh, it's not my favorite. It takes reps. It takes time before you get to something where, and I'm guessing, I mean, you write a lot that's internal, a lot of vulnerable kind of stuff that you, it's, it's hard to necessarily just open that up to somebody you've just barely met. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I'm just kind of like, um, like that, like I'm like internally very much a perfectionist and, and I'm reserved and I'm sort of like take a while to warm up to, to people and situations. So in that space, which is like very intimate one, it takes me a while where other people I know, like when I lived in Nashville, they thrive off that. Like every other day at 11, I'm meeting a stranger and we're going to write. Um, and I had fun doing that when I tried it cause I would meet people, but, um, but I never felt like I got, you know, to the place that I would have been at. Yeah. We talked a little bit when you were here, I know, for example, you had talked about that one of your first kind of experiences where you were like looking up on stage going, I want to do that, was seeing Laurie McKenna at uh, Passim. Yeah, okay. when I was really young, like 11 or something, yeah. And so, you know, you have a lot of musical ability. Did you, did you, um, uh, is your family musical? Did you, uh, were you in band or choir or take lessons, piano lessons or anything when you were younger? How did you get started? Um. Yeah. I, well, I have a older sister who I always like looked up to. She was always the definition of cool, as I say. So I kind of tried whatever she tried, even when it failed miserably. Um, and so she always had this beautiful voice and was always singing. So I think I learned, I would, you know, mimic her. And I, I learned a lot of like singing inflections from her when I was very young, just like and but other than that, I mean, my family wasn't musical at all. Mm. But we had a, a guitar in the house that my uncle would play whenever he came over. And then I ended up picking that up like when I was about twelve in the summer, just for like something to do. And then I went to lessons and 
Okay. Um, and but, guitar but, lessons later, yeah, but not as a kid, no. But that so that was your first instrument was guitar. Yeah, it was. That's, and then after that, I tried to go back and take piano lessons because I wished I'd learned piano first. But I mean, I still don't like play piano very well. So, but I mean, you know, guitar is pretty cool. Like guitar is easy to be drawn to. Um, whereas, yeah, when I did end up taking piano lessons, it felt so like regimented and um, right. whatever. When you're like 13 or whatever, guitar is just kind of cooler. <laughs> but yeah, but now I'm even thinking that's been one of my on my list of quarantine things. I'm like, I want to put more time into piano. Hmm. Oh, interesting. So you took you took guitar lessons uh, locally. Um, uh, when did you start um, like toying with open tunings and stuff like that? For those who don't play guitar, most people learn guitar in what is called standard tuning, where just strumming the guitar does not sound like a chord. But many guitar players use open or alternative tunings, where just strumming without fretting any strings can produce the major or minor chord. Because as I recall, when you came here uh, last last winter. You had two guitars. You had one that you basically kept in open tuning or in, in an open tuning and one in standard uh, tuning. Uh, so yeah. when did you start messing with, with those open tunings? That was because of my, um, my guitar teacher that I had for years. Um, his name is Raymond Gonzalez. Uh, he, he used to live in, in my town here where I grew up, but now he lives in um, Gloucester, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, he was amazing because he quickly caught on to the fact that I did not want to practice guitar. Because to be honest, I didn't really care about guitar. I cared about writing songs, and guitar was a vehicle to write songs. So he was amazing because he he recognized that, and instead of just saying, like, this kid doesn't practice, he would give me assignments that were focused around writing. So so he started showing me open tunings and was like, okay, your homework is to go home and write a song in this tuning. You know, just figure it out. Like, play by ear, find it. And that unleashed so much for me because... uh. I just loved it. And I mean, that, and I, of course, love Joni Mitchell. And yeah, so and then from there, there's so much to explore, like one open tuning can turn into another and that was making them up. And so yeah, that was my wonderful guitar teacher. Sometimes I think it's a bit of a curse because now I need two guitars everywhere I go, but <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, you just need a roadie is what you need. You need somebody yeah. to be able to hand that to and say, can you tune that back up? Actually, one of the things I really love about that, because demystifying this for you to have that kind of opened up, so when you had that, you know, that open tuning kind of, and, and then you just start messing with your own variations. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. I, it's such a gift. Like I've always been so thankful that he, uh, he introduced me to open tuning so early. And, and it's also just great. Like if you feel, especially as a singer songwriter, if you get stuck in that, like, you know, I'm not a virtuoso guitar player. I'm limited really. Like I, because of where I chose to put my time, like I'm, I didn't go and learn you know, every chord in the book and I don't know all my scales and I don't. So when you start to feel like, oh, I'm stuck in the same singer songwriter land, um, open tuning is such a way to just like, you know, take off the, you know, you're just, you have to figure it out and you have to go somewhere different. And that was always such a really good discovery process for me. And I think my teacher recognized that. And Yeah. And also recognize that you have a good ear, um, that you, you have that ability to, to maneuver and, and all that. That's, that's really interesting. So you started writing songs before you started playing guitar. Yeah, I mean, I was, yes, I would write songs and sing them without playing an instrument. And I would always write poems. And then um, that's why when I did start playing guitar, my immediate uh, place to go was to start writing rather than learning other people's songs. It was like, oh, cool. This is like the missing piece. I'm just going to put some poems in here. So, yeah, I was I was always like making up little tunes and. So when you were when you were just a little kid, you, you do you remember do you remember when you first wrote? Do you have any? Do you, have you kept any of those uh, original songs? 
Yes, I remember. I have some of them even in my head, like that I would write with no, I didn't play an instrument, but I would just write a melody and lyrics. And I remember there was like a book fair at school. It's like a scholastic book fair, you know, and you'd have to come with 20 bucks and buy something. One year I bought this songwriting journal and and it had little prompts and that, that was in like elementary school, honestly. And I still have that. And I remember some of those little tunes. And then, then I started playing guitar. And then, um, and then I had, you know, my first like real songs with like structure and whatever. But yeah. Right. And, and have you, have you taken uh, instruction on songwriting? Um, yes, because I went to, uh, in college, my, my program, I went to Belmont in Nashville for two years. And I was a songwriting major while I was there. But I, I didn't finish. But yeah. Right have songwriting classes. Well, that's that's really interesting. So one of the things I've been struck by is how people approach songwriting. I mean, if you're sitting down, say, you know, tomorrow you've decided I'm going to write a song. I don't know if that works, but you would start, I mean, you start with um, with a pad and pencil. Is that where you start? No, I, I am similar to Mary. Like, I, um, I mean, most of the time there's obviously, there's been a few times where I come up with a line and I'm like, Oh, I got to write that later. Or maybe I come up with a melody, but, um, rarely do I come up with a melody without lyrics because those are so same as Mary said, intertwined to me. Cause it's more than just what I'm trying to say. It's also like, uh, how it fits and flows and the shape of the words within that melody. And, um, so often if I do have a melody that I like, what I will do is sing, words that are the right um, shape that I want, and then I'll change those words out for um, words that make sense. But sometimes the thing that just comes out when I'm doing that winds up being the line because it's like, you know, by the grace of God, I don't know, that that like um, stream of consciousness thing when it just works. Right. Because um, some level of my brain is actually aware of what I'm writing about before I am, which happens to me a lot. But yeah, but I, I kind of sit down and do everything at once. So if I if I wanted to write right now, I would pick up my guitar and I would like fish around for ideas on all three levels. Like if I'm playing something and singing some line and maybe a lyric, often I start like that from nothing. Like I don't necessarily have a lyric idea in mind. I just like sing random stuff and then I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. Obviously there's plenty of times where I have like a burning thing I need to write, but, um, right. but the process is usually still all at once for me because they're all intertwined, the pieces, you know? Uh, so, so what we described here in terms of like also the intention of sitting down to write, is it, is it intentional? It's like I'm setting aside this time to write. Is it, is it like that? No, it has <laughs> been. <laughs> At times in my experimenting, because I'm really into, I think one of my ways of procrastinating or putting off creating is like learning about the creative process or reading all the books and listening to all the interviews and all the things, you know? So I really have tried everything in terms of like different approaches of being a really regimented songwriter and saying, I'm going to write every Monday at 1 p.m. or whatever, to being completely like, if I don't write for six months, I don't care. I'm going to be very gracious with myself. So I've, I've tried a lot of that. Also, when I was in school, it was like a song's due tomorrow. So you just put in whatever the hell song you write. Like, it, you know, but yeah, but now it's more, um, I have to let things brew. And it's more of a feeling like if I sit down, I'm like, Oh, I want to write right now. I'll quickly feel whether whether it's going to be fruitful or not, if that makes sense. Like, sure. I'll feel whether there's a there's an element to which I have to push myself. But then there's a place where I know that um, for me, it's it's not necessarily going anywhere. Granted, there are plenty of people that are able to like pound it out. And I admire that so much. But I'm, I've kind of come to accept that I need a little uh, 
you know, flow <laughs> to, to yeah. really get in there. So, I mean, it, it, it's saying that, that I'm not going to force it because yeah. the, the muse isn't there or whatever and I'll, I'll, but I know it's coming. I know it'll be yeah. here. And so, yeah, that's a big part of the process for me is that like trust. So, cause that, that's can repel anything. If I start to get in, like, what if it never comes? What if I can't write? So, right. yeah. so yeah, my current process is very detached, you know, unless I, I'm co-writing in which there's a lot more structure. So <laughs> that's why that helps me in situations like quarantine. Right. Uh, so, by the way, speaking of Peter Mulvey, um, and he was talking about a like a Tuesday writing club with these people they was in that like every Tuesday they had to have a song and they would have a they would have a prompt or something like that. And one of the things I'm learning in all of this uh, is that all of you guys who write are writing a whole bunch of songs. And that means along the way, some of those songs just simply aren't going to be, they may be valuable to you in some way, but they may not be ones that rise to the level of playing in a show or putting on a record. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, it's like with Peter, it was like, I knew a lot of those songs were probably never going to, you know, no one's going to hear them except his writing group. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Definitely. There's like, there's always going to be songs that don't make it. So I think you speed up that process by just bang and add a bunch of songs. So there have been periods where I've like waited for the muse. And then I realized that still, even when she's there, there's some of those songs still aren't going to make it. So yeah, I, in school, it was definitely like that. And then, I mean, my most recent example of like approaching that is when I was in quarantine and my friend Ryan and I were just kind of writing nonstop just to like keep ourselves sane. And there have been specific instances where I'm like, okay, I'm going to finish this song, even though I don't know where it's going, or I'm just going to plug it out. But most of the time, no, because I'm just sort of, maybe I'm lazy or like addicted to the, to the ride, but I really tend to be pretty just like, uh, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it, you know? By the way, I, ju- I just want to, you know, know, you're a productive songwriter who has written a lot of songs and writes a lot of good songs. So I, I think um, I, I would trust that and not assume that somehow you need to do things differently. And you mentioned just, just a minute ago, sometimes, you know, wanting to maybe finish that song and sometimes forcing it maybe, but how often do you end up with partial songs that kind of hang around for a while? And um, A lot now, actually. I mean, but I, I always have a ton of partial songs. It's honestly more common for me to come up with a partial song, like in a, you know, moment of inspiration and then sit on it for a while and finish it later. But there is definitely a real thing in which sometimes they're just past, like they need to be finished in that moment or, or, you know, my heart isn't there anymore or it's just whatever the little fairy has flown away. But I do write a lot like that. And especially because I think I have a, I have a very, very clear, um, kind of slow gestation process on everything like mm. so i have seen how that plays out where i'll write a song or i'll write i'll start something in a moment where i'm really inspired and then like six months later i i'll be able to finish it because i finally understood like what that meant in the context of my life or whatever and um in a way that i never could have said it or understood it had i tried to finish it back then it either the moment passes and it's totally gone or you're able to write from like a much you know fuller perspective because Hmm. the time's gone by so i've had both those but i do i do sit on pieces of songs for quite a while very often do you you finish all at once do you record those partial songs on your phone or something to have have them and then you go back and yeah i have thousands on my phone and i will sometimes just like go through them even without any of them in my mind 
a lot of them do stick in my mind though in a way that i'm like mm. that's so weird that i even remember that of all the little pieces but i swear they like float up as they want to be written that image of they float up when they need to be finished kind of thing yeah that's another thing that keeps kind of coming back in songwriters is just some element of that the muse the magic the whatever that it's i mean there's a lot of hard work in, involved obviously in in crafting songs but there's also magic and that's uh that still is why it makes it amazing. One more songwriting uh, question, and then maybe we can um, listen to a song. How do you see your uh, change development as a songwriter? I see my change and development as a person. I, I mean, I see I started writing songs so young, and I was like, had so much in me that I didn't even realize was there in terms of like my whole internal as we all do but like my whole internal world like was so complicated and I kind of didn't have any concept of that and then songs were like a place to to put that um so it's so my songs feel like these little time capsules which I'm so thankful for because I can watch you know go back and see myself growing but yeah when I look back I see how they went from me figuring out the tools of like what does a song look like and what's the structure just kind of writing about imagined scenarios or relationships or whatever to uh, to them more and more becoming like a representation of me, like as I get to know myself. So my songs have always been very like self-reflective. Do you want to play a song? This is called After You. I dreamed that I dreamed that you were blind and I went walking Looking for the light, but then I lost it Trying to bring the right thing home to you And I see now That nothing is a waste until it runs out Built myself a castle just to climb down And rifle through the fragments of my youth And I've got everything I've ever felt lined up In pretty little bottles One way in and one way out My love, it's gonna be I know who I am again after you Though 
That's just okay. lovely. I will send that to you. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Thank you so much for that. And then I have I have stolen from Brene Brown questions. Um, she has ten rapid fire questions, and I can't come up with ten. So, but I've got. I haven't. I, but I love her. Okay. Yeah. Actually, the first question I have for you is is kind of a new one. Is um, uh, who are you listening to today? I mean, it, these during these times. I mean, is there are there musicians that you have kind of gravitated to yeah well it was kind of fun uh oh are these rapid fire i'm like bursting no into you're good it. okay you're good <laughs> um, it was kind of fun to be in quarantine and have new music come out because i could really like i had so much time to just really like ingest a record so uh i really went hard into fiona apple's new album which is right. like there's so much to unpack there so it was like it's a wild ride so i listened to that a lot more more like a student of like everything that's happening there than like an easy listen. It's really an interesting record. But um yeah, and Laura Marling also put out a new album that I, I'm a big Laura Marling fan, so I have been listening to that. When you get this these uh like Laura Marling, do you listen to it all the way through multiple times? Is it uh, in the order? I well that's what I mean is I um would love to usually but I don't usually like sit down for a rec I mean sometimes but like right. if it's just something a new album that pops up and I'm like oh I want to hear that I don't usually have time to sit down for an hour so in quarantine I have which has been really cool. Lori McKenna has a new one out too. Yes, which yeah. I have not listened to all the way. I yeah. I saw bits of a of her her live show playing some of them and I heard her song about her sister that made me cry texting my sister. She, um, as she always does but she always makes me cry. Yeah, I know. I I have to set aside like that one. I really got to get ready for. <laughs> so I've got three more questions. The first one is, who is the songwriter that makes your jaw drop? Um, Joni Mitchell, I think. Oh, okay. That's that's a good one. You're the first one to, to pick Joni. Um, really? um, yeah. And of course, I also understand built into that, there are a whole bunch of other songwriters that you admire and learn from and everything else. So it's, you know, you're, you're, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm asking you to pick one out of, you know, but, but you did mention early on that, that you're, especially with like the open tuning and stuff like that, uh, really being drawn to Joni's writing. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're going to pick. Yeah, there's so many songwriters, I, but, but yeah, but I do as like a whole being and like a, you know, complex layered artist she just amazes me you know yes agreed yeah. okay so 
The second question is about, in terms of music, and you can think about this not just in the pandemic, but just sort of overall, is there an outside kind of form or genre of music that you have found that has influenced your own writing or your own performances or anything? Yeah, I mean, even beyond, like, even beyond... I think there's so many things, uh, especially my performance. Like I, I love my my mentor um, and initially who was my performance like teacher taught me about performing and and owning an audience. Most of what I studied with him was like stand up comedy and like um, and uh, you know live storytelling and stuff. So even far beyond like musical genres, I think there's so many things that influence. Um, you know, and and therefore, like my the storytelling within my songs, like books influence that. So I think it's a it's an all encompassing thing. I mean, we're we're conveying emotions and stories, and so draw from everything. So all right, that that's a new one, and I love. Sorry. That. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's that's really cool. No, I just had had the idea, and it makes perfect sense. Other kinds of performances. That's really cool. Yeah, where you have to kind of read the room and you have to adapt and be quick. I mean, I always think about that when I'm in a classroom. I'm like, teaching is so similar to performing. You have to be really, like, in tune. You have to, um, speaking, teaching. But, yeah, I mean, I listen to all kinds of music. Like, I love pop music. I love, like, but I, I don't know as tangibly, like, however that works its way into my stuff is um mm-hmm. is more mysterious to me. But stuff like, you know... A book I read and then choose to tell a song from a certain point of view or a stand-up comedian and then choose to like you know use some certain inflection or thing with my Mm. performance feels so it's all influencing everything basically I like to think but what kind of uh, books do you gravitate to just out of curiosity oh my gosh well in quarantine I've been reading um just like easy novels to get my brain off um yeah life but but i love uh john steinbeck's one of my favorites i i just finished this um john o'donohue his an, i don't know how to say anamkara it's like a book mm-hmm. of celtic wisdom it's like beautiful like spiritual teachings uh so i don't know all over the map but in quarantine i've been really just like zonking out with yeah yeah completely easy, understand easy That's, novels yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah okay the last question has changed and i'll give you the 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 uh, adapted version um it is um do you have a guilty pleasure music or is there a genre of music or an artist that you listen to that your fans might be surprised by oh my gosh yeah i mean i really love like i love pop music i love one direction i went and saw one direction as a grown woman I mean, I'm, I don't necessarily look like a girl. I'm not sure if I think of myself as a grown woman, but I love, I mean, I love like that stuff. I, when Justin Bieber puts out a record, I listen all the way through. I love it. Um, I, yeah, I just love pop. Do you, do you think listening to that, I mean, you, I guess you really answered this before, that that pop music kind of uh, probably does infiltrate some of your uh, hooks or, or transitions or, or melody lines, but it's not, it's not a conscious thing, but it's, it's probably there. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But but it's not like I'm like, ooh, what'd they do there? And I like that. Like, I still, I want to preserve my, like, listener Haley and not be like, ooh, you know, like, always have songwriter Haley, like, trying to um, workshop what they did or not oh, that I'm necessarily. So, um, yeah, I I don't even know. I, I just listen as a fan. Um, but I'm sure everything finds its way in somehow. To a certain degree, what you're talking about as a fan, if you can just sort of turn off that brain and listen to pop music or, or whatever, you're not trying to figure out how to 
or compare or anything like that. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, and I think I'd like to think unless it's like super similar reminding me of something, I'd like to think I can do that in general. Like, and I try and preserve that. Like, cause who wants to, we want to be able to enjoy music too. That's why we wound up here rather than always be like, yeah, that work brain or, um, right. Yeah. Or sending you into your craft all of a sudden. So, um, just listen and enjoy. And that's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I honestly suspect that makes you a better performer too, honestly, just because you're, you're, you know, so much what it's like to be on the other side, you know, and, 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 you know, you're always thinking about how to make that experience good for the people that are there, you know? Yeah. I've thought a lot about that. I think that's an important thing to hold on to. Definitely. I just wanted to thank you for setting aside this time, looking forward to post pandemic. And I, I am hopeful that that's going to be relatively soon. I'm, I, one of the things I do feel like is that house concerts are going to be just as important, if not more important after. So um, we will, we will have you out again. And I mean, either, either we'll have you out here to Colorado or maybe we'll get out to catch you on the East East coast or something like that. Okay. Yes. We have to get together whenever you make it out here. Yeah. And same when I'm back touring, I will make sure I head through Colorado again. Yeah. I keep building my scene out there. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Oh, well, it's our pleasure. And like I said, it's just so great to see you and hear you. And today's been a decent day, but it's always better when I get to talk to a friend and listen and listen to music and talk about music. So thank you. Same here. We'll say hi to Lisa and send my love to the dogs. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you will visit Haley's website where you can view some of her videos and find out more about her and her music. I include that link as well as her PayPal and Venmo information in case you would like to send her some support. We need our poets and truth tellers now more than ever. See you next time on Music at Three Pines, the podcast. Under these three pines.